today on the Tearsheet Podcast. We had one customer who did their entire call volume for, an, for, the, for three weeks of the month on a single day. I don't know whether my bank balances are doing well. I don't know whether my stocks are doing well. I don't know if I you know, have paid my last uh, amount or am I being, uh, is my credit going down, especially when I need credit because I've been laid off a job. So many emotions, so people are calling over and over again. And here's the kicker, right? While this is happening, these banks are having to figure out how do they get their entire call center agent population, which was all physically housed in the bank's locations, now to be completely remote. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. When COVID hit, call volumes surged. Customers were calling their banks and financial institutions out of fear. Banks had to scale this volume while simultaneously transitioning their customer service staff to work from home. Vijay Balasubramanian is CEO of Pindrop, which provides many of the top banks and insurers with voice authentication and fraud detection. Pindrop has raised more than $200 million. Vijay joins us on the podcast to talk about the challenges in today's banking call centers and how some of the top firms are improving outcomes and reducing fraud. We discuss how COVID is impacting the financial industry and what the ecosystem might look like on the other side. Vijay Balasubramanian is my guest today on the podcast. Hi, my name is Vijay Balasubramanian. I'm the CEO and founder of Pindrop. Uh, Pindrop is a company that provides voice authentication and voice security. So, you know, when you call a financial institution, the first thing that you're greeted with is a whole bunch of questions. What's your date of birth? What's your mother's maiden name? Uh, we do away with all of that. We replace passwords, pins, questions, everything that's the older form of security with just who you are based on your voice, what you have based on your device, and what you do based on your behavior. Got it. So I, I know I know we're in a crazy era for for what Pindrop does, but can you maybe take us back um, to why you, why you founded the company? Sort of some of the trends that were leading up to this point, and then we can actually talk about how things are changing in this era. Absolutely. You know, I actually founded the company for a very simple reason. I, I, this this done, this was my PhD thesis, uh, and interestingly enough, I I've started working on this because of a failed suit purchase. So it was actually in India, I bought a suit, gave it for alterations, uh, and then, you know, didn't think anything about it until the next day at three o'clock in the morning. So 3 a.m. in the morning, I get a call from my bank uh, and they didn't know I was in India. So they were calling me at three in the morning and they said, hey, we want to verify this transaction. And I said, OK, go ahead and tell me the transaction. And they said, oh, before we do that, uh, we need to verify it's you. So can you give us your social security number? And I'm like. There's no way I'm giving you my social security <laughs> number. I have no clue who you are. And so we played the stupid cat and mouse game for 30 minutes and I was super groggy. And I told them, you know what, just go ahead and cancel the transaction. Can't be that important. And then the next day when I went to collect my suit and I was actually flying out to the US that day, uh, what ended up happening is they said they stopped working on it because I'd canceled my own suit. So wow. It, it got me thinking that, you know, phone calls and voice has existed since the time of Alexander Graham Bell, right? So over 150 years old, and we still don't have a basic sense of where is this call coming from? Who's on the other end? We know it when, you know, it's your mother speaking or someone that you really know, you're speaking to them so often that, you know, just by the sound of their voice, you can figure it out. But there's a lot of interactions that we get 
that we have no idea who's on the other end. And if you flip this and think about a bank or a financial institution, they get calls from everyone and they have no clue who's on the other end. And so that's how we started the company. Uh, and ultimately, we started it based on, uh, you know, just trying to solve for call centers. But a very interesting trend happened, right, which is voice became really, really big. Uh, you have Alexas, connected cars, smart homes, personal assistants, all of these newer devices moving to voice as an interface. And it's become just as important to make sure that the voice that's actually performing a particular interaction is the right one. So, so obviously your personal story is a great use case. Um, can you talk about some of the other use cases, I guess, within the call center environment for a financial institution? Yeah. So the, the, the number one use case is the first thing that happens when you call a call center environment is they have to identify who you are. Either the self-service system is identifying you or an agent is identifying you, but they have to identify you before they go any further. So no matter other than, you know, you finding out the R's of a bank, 90% of all interactions at a financial institution requires you to identify yourself as the first uh, thing that you do. So if you're trying to do increase the credit limit on your card, if you're trying to ship a new address, if you're trying to take out a new mortgage, if you're trying to open up a new account, uh, every single interaction that's of any importance requires you to identify yourself. And so in all of those cases, what they currently use is what's known as knowledge-based authentication questions. So what's your date of birth? What's your mother's maiden name? What's your social security number? Things that they use to identify you. And those questions have gotten increasingly crazier, right? And I'm sure you've seen some of these questions, right? What was the address you lived in mm -hmm. before you got married? Or what was the last transaction you performed? Was that an automatic AT&T bill that you paid? Or was that you buying a burrito, right? Like hmm. th those are the kinds of things that people, most financial institutions use right now to identify you before they give you access to your account and then allow you to do things on the account. And so all of those use cases are applicable to us. So, so take us how a, a knowledge-based um, you know, question answer form doesn't, doesn't serve and doesn't protect customer identity. H how does Pindrop do it differently? Yeah, so knowledge-based authentication questions uh, uh, rely on the old form of security where it's a shared secret. It's something you know and something that the financial institution knows. But the really interesting thing is with a lot of the data breaches that we've had, it's something pretty much everyone knows or more importantly, every fraudster knows. So, you know, when they ask you what's your mother's maiden name, the fraudster already knows that answer or can go up to Facebook or Ancestry.com and get that information. In fact, in one of the cases, the fraudster did something super interesting. He actually said, hey, I don't, uh, you know, my dad married thrice, so can I take three guesses? Uh, hmm. And, you know, the call center agent doesn't even, you know, understand that response. She's like, okay, go ahead. And, you know, it doesn't even make sense, right? So what if your dad married thrice? You still have one mother. Uh, but, you know, she allows him to take three guesses and he takes the top three mothers maiden names in the US. His last one is Smith, which turns out to be right. And he wires $90,000 to a bank in England. So, wow. you know, even, even something as guessing, something as unsophisticated as guessing, but intelligent guessing 
cut that person through. But most of these people, most of these fraudsters have these answers to these questions. And so that's the existing state of the art and it's horrible. And worse still is 30% of customers right now actually don't know the answers to the questions because the questions are getting increasingly more complicated. So one, it doesn't shut out any fraud. So 93% of all fraud, fraudsters beat the knowledge-based authentication questions. It's only the really unsophisticated 7% that don't beat it. And then on the 30% of regular customers also don't know the answer. So if you think about it as a security solution, it's creating all of this friction by getting you to answer these questions. You don't know the answers one third of the time and it's letting all of the fraud through. So it's a horrible, horrible security solution. And so what we do differently is we passively figure out three things. Is this who you are based on your voice? And there are very unique characteristics to your voice that allow us to identify that it's actually you. Is this your device? And this was actually my PhD thesis by which we figured out every device everywhere in the world leaves behind telltale acoustic fingerprint on a call. Mm. And we're able to pick up that acoustic fingerprint and say, this is actually Zach's uh, device, right? This is his, you know, iPhone 10 or whatever device you're using, but we can actually pinpoint that. And then based on the way you enter information. So for example, when someone asks you for any information like your social security number or anything, the way you enter it has a certain pattern to it because you know it. And on your phone, you're either using two thumbs or you're using your single uh, finger. And so that pattern, so if you think about it, we're replacing the single factor of knowledge-based authentication with a multi-factor uh, authentication solution that identifies who you are by, based on your voice, what you have based on your be uh, device, and what you do based on your behavior. And because it's all of these three things, it makes a very, very strong authentication solution. And all of this happens behind the scenes within the first couple of seconds of a call. Wow, really interesting. Is, is, there, a, um, is there a download? Is there something that resides on the device itself? Uh, no. So this actually happens in the call centers, right? Our next evolution is actually, uh, you know, having a consumer app that you could download and you could use on your device. But right now it's largely towards enterprises. Uh, and we have eight of the top 10 financial institutions here in the U.S. as customers. But what happens there is we interface with their call center environment where essentially their call center environment sends a copy of the call to us. And oftentimes we don't even do it with their infrastructure. We have partnerships with telcos like Verizon, mm. where Verizon directly sends us the call. And then all the bank or the financial institution is asking is, hey, you just got a call. Either we uh, you know, uh, gave you a copy of it or the telecom carrier gave you a copy. Can you tell us, is this call legitimate or fraudulent? And based on that, their agent or their self-service system gets a simple red, yellow, green to tell them how to proceed. Very interesting. So, so thank you for bringing us up to up to speed. Now, can we talk about? Um, I guess what's happened over the past few months. Can you talk about the challenges your clients have faced during the COVID era and and how Pindrop has helped them solve them? Oh yeah. So you know the COVID era is really interesting because you know now that everyone's working from home you've pretty much lost the ability to go into physical locations. And so the fact is that what's happening is one, 
call volumes have been surging. So, you know, if you, if you kind of break up COVID into, you know, late February when it started hitting, we saw call volumes jump 200% at that point in time. And then during the early part of March, during the peak COVID period, you had, you know, call volumes jump to up to 600%. And then when the government stimulus came out during the mid-March, later March timeframe, it jumped to 1000%. So that means you had people who had 1000% of their volume. We had one customer who did their entire call volume for an, for the, for three weeks of the month on a single day. And so, you know, wow. massive numbers of people calling in because one, they can't go into physical locations, but two, they're panicked, right? The economy is going to the gutter. I don't know whether my bank balances are doing well. I don't know whether my stocks are doing well. I don't know if I, you know, have paid my last uh, amount or am I being, uh, is my credit going down, especially when I need credit because I've been laid off a job so many emotions so people are calling over and over again and here's the kicker right while this is happening these banks are having to figure out how do they get their entire call center agent population which was all physically housed in the bank's locations now to be completely remote and so we had banks spent the entire first month getting up to 30 percent of their call center agents. And then after month two, it got up to 70%. But only in month three did they start getting back up to the normal call volume. So you have- How many employees so are we talking about, Vijay, by the way, in a, in a tradition, in an average, you know, a large financial institution, how many people are in the call center? Oh, so in a large financial institution, you can have as many as 10,000 call center agents right? Uh, but the average is anywhere between 3,000 to 5,000, but you can have 10,000. So you're having to relocate 10,000 people to a new location during surging call volumes. And fraudsters obviously know this, right? So yeah. as, as you were alluding to before, like, you know, the fraudsters, this was, this was ample time for them, right? This to, to, to come up with new strategies. Yeah. And it was very interesting. So the intuitive thing is fraudsters knew this, but two very interesting things happened. We saw fraudsters step up their automated attacks. That is automated ways in which they can figure out things. So what do I mean by that, right? Let's say I am a fraudster who has some social security number. I have a data breach of a bunch of information. So I can take that social security number or that identifying information and then hit every single bank uh, or, uh, you know, just to see which banks does this social security number bank with. Because when you call a self-service system and you punch in the right information, it says, hey, welcome Zach, your account balances so much. Or I couldn't quite understand that social security number, can you punch it again, right? And so what they were doing is they were just figuring out what you know what organizations did everyone bank with and they were they were stepping up those attacks largely because that was an easy way for them to identify who to target and then who to go after the interesting thing is the actual attacks in the call center agent for organizations that managed to quickly move to this remote workforce jumped by 150%. So it actually went up by 150%. So when you have an agent getting defrauded by a fraudster, that went up by 150% for organizations that actually made the transition quickly. 
for organizations that didn't make the transition quickly, fraud went down because the fraudsters got equally tired of waiting in line to get the phone call answered just as much as regular people did <laughs> because the call wait times went up to 55 minutes. So a fraudster said, man, I'm waiting for 55 minutes. I'm going to hang up. And, you know, so, so it was really weird, right? Like when we looked at the traffic, we saw people who actually did a good job moving to work from home got hit with way more fraud than people struggled to, you know, move to work from home just because, you know, they frustrated the fraudsters uh, just like they frustrated their customers. That's a wild story. Thank you, Vijay. So, so most of the transitions happened already. Do you, do you imagine um, from where you sit and, and speaking to your clients um, that work from home is sort of a new paradigm for, for, call, for call centers for financial institutions? Uh, it's interesting. We've actually seen a split and it's, you know, maybe 50-50 or maybe 60-40 where there are organizations that are actually deeming their call center agents as necessary workforce and so are bringing them back in because just think about it, right? Uh, in order to have these call center agents, they have to make sure all of the network infrastructure is good you have all of data security concerns, right? Imagine if you're surfing the account of somebody who has a lot of wealth and someone's, you know, in the call center environment, you could make sure no one was looking over your uh, shoulder or no one was using a mobile phone when they were not supposed to. But right now at your home, you can do everything. In fact, they're finding cases where call center agents are farming off their work and having employment across multiple organizations. Wow. They're farming it off to multiple people and uh, in, in Philippines and things like that, because you know, all the, the traffic is, it's just routing to a different place. No one's the wiser and they just, you know, employed at multiple places. Right. And so it's really interesting. So some people have decided that they're actually going to get their call center agents back home. Some people are actually solving this with technology and saying, Hey, we have to lean in. This is something. So we're going to uh, invest in security technologies, invest in a whole bunch of mechanisms to allow our agents to work from home. So we're seeing a mixed response and we're seeing the more nimble, uh, smaller financial institutions, actually the mid-range financial institutions taking a more technology forward approach. Some of the larger ones are actually asking their agents to come back home. Interesting. And, I, and what's up next for, for Pindrop, I guess, from, um, from a product point of view, from a growth point of view, like what are your biggest priorities now? Yeah, so one is, you know, as one of the things that we're seeing a lot right now is fraud is just not hitting the agent. It's hitting the self-service channel. So imagine, you know, you have a, a part of your call center, which is completely automated. There is no human in the mix. And so fraudsters are taking great advantage that there is no human in the mix. And so they're using uh, machines to interact with machines and get all kinds of information. So one area that we're focused on is identifying a lot of the fraud that's happening there. And it's crazy. There is uh, what's known as a man in the call attack, a fraud double tap. So we are seeing all kinds of new variations of those attacks happening in the self-service channel. Uh, and, and so, you know, a lot of our focus is one, identifying it. But the cool thing is once you identify it, you're able to give organizations early warning 
on average 60 days ahead of time. So someone is doing some reconnaissance in the IVR, then 60 days later, they're going coming into your online channels and stealing money. But you have this early indicator that these guys were trying these different accounts. So monitor these accounts and protect them when the actual attack happens. So it's become a really good way to provide that early warning. And then the second thing is voices moving to connected cars, smart homes, personal assistance, all of this conferencing systems. You know, I'm sure you've seen, right? There are videos of uh, people in a Zoom conference and suddenly Elon Musk appears in the conference. And it's actually a deep fake version of Elon Musk that's appeared in the, in the conference. So how do you protect against attacks like that? So we're seeing a lot of demand. And so a lot of our roadmap is focused in these newer areas of voice, in conferencing, in smart homes, in connected cars. Vijay, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet podcast today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.